The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. You know, getting to stand up here in my position, it's exciting every week. Because what I get to do is look out and see how God is bringing and intertwining lives that in any other setting wouldn't come together at a deep and meaningful level. I look out and I see families that have been together for almost longer than I've been alive. Today, Dave and Eddie McCann are celebrating 65 years of marriage. I get to see families that are struggling to hold it together, still coming and working and committing together to, to see their lives come together. New families brought together, children being born and adopted into our home. This church growing in its passion and desire to have an impact, not only here locally, but around the world. That word impact you're going to see a lot in the next uh, several years, quite honestly, uh, because what we are uh, embarking on together is what I believe is truly a watershed time in the life of this church. Some of you have been here from day one, and you've seen this church grow and ebb and flow and move with always a vision in mind to know Christ in a deeper and more profound way and then to be able to go and to make Him known. And God is continuing to stir that and mix it together. And now He has us at this point where we can go together to do even more than we've ever done. And so you'll see that we're saying that we want to have an impact uh, in the lives of our people. We want to see lives change. We want to see uh, people come in this way to know Christ, to see marriages restored, to see families brought back together. Uh, we realize that in the midst of that, this campus that we enjoy, I mean, you look around today, we, we can't handle too many more people coming around here. And if you want to meet together and do things for kids and children who just don't have the space, we're going to have to turn them some dirt and do some different things and, and move in that way. And then we want to go in this community and have a massive impact in this community and then from this community around the world. And so we're going to introduce to you today something that I think is incredibly exciting. It's our Impacting Generosity Initiative. And so why don't you watch... Uh, with me, guys, why don't you go ahead and hit the lights, and uh, we're going to see just a picture uh, of where God is leading us together today. This is your church. This is us, but what God's called us to be a part of, and it's exciting. And we're going to keep talking about that, and then the interim kids, you don't have to hang around, you can go play over there and enjoy uh, being with Mr. Patrick, so kids, you can head on out. Uh, adults, if you want to leave, you can leave. Uh, but uh, we'd love you to stay around. Um, let me first just say to the team that got it put together here for everything that you see around you, uh, the video to the print material to the stuff that's going to be handed out to you later, uh, I am absolutely indebted to uh, Matt Scott and Patrick Link on staff who have given so much time and energy to that. To Dave Brown, who's leading our team, uh, to Mark Mooney and his team who put together that great video, and to a ton of other folks who I can't name everybody. But it's fun to see it coming together. And this morning, we're going to look at the first part of this vision. And this vision is to see lives impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. To We can't go beyond that. The reality is this. You cannot give away that which you don't have. 
You can't give away to the world around you a love and a passion for Jesus Christ if you don't yourself have a love and a passion for Jesus Christ. Uh, you can't come, uh, go and do anything unless you yourself has first been changed, transformed, impacted by the gospel in such a profound way that then it is absolutely natural and just normal for you to go out and to impact other lives. And so I want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, uh, over uh, with me into Corinthians. We're going to be looking this morning at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verses 11 uh, through 21. And it's going to be the beginning of four weeks together of looking at our lives. Looking at how and why does God call this church uh, into this community? Why did it start 30-some years ago? Was it just chance? Was it just by faith? Or did God, in all of His brilliance and all of His wisdom, decide, I need a church on this island, in this spot, to do something significant? And so we want to know what God wants us to do in the community. And then to see all of the different ministries that are going on around the world from this little church. You don't realize that the people are, are being saved because of you. Because of God using this little church right here in a significant way. And then the final week, we're going to look and say, how is my commitment and my gift able uh, to be used for an impact? But this morning, the Apostle Paul is teaching us. And as he's in Corinth and writing his second letter, he comes and he says this, beginning in verse 11. So this is God's word. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we are have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of us. Therefore, we do this. Again, we've said all along as we've been together, as I try to encourage you, I'm reading them out, we ask the question of what's the therefore, therefore, so you flip back to verse 10, and that's where you really have to start. Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you next week.
Go wrestle with that. I read that and go, I'm dead. There is absolutely no hope for me. I was so frustrated with my dog yesterday because she acted like a dog. And she went out and she rolled around and she got all nasty and smelly and then came into my house and made my house nasty and smelly. And I was angry at her. And I thought, no, Peggy, you think you're going to get into heaven with that kind of attitude about a dumb dog? That's what Paul is saying is that they're for. He's saying, now listen, folks, there is a day coming when all of us will have to stand and give account for our lives. We live in a day and an age with absolutely no accountability. There's no accountability in government. There's no accountability within families. There's zero accountability within schools. I sat with a mom, and she was saying how her child is terrified to go to school because of all the stuff that's happening, the bullying and the fights, and nothing seems to be happening. No one's held accountable for their actions. Within families, children aren't held accountable for their actions. Parents aren't held accountable for their actions. They just determine to change and move on and do whatever. So we live in an age and a day with zero accountability. And then you hear this statement. One day, everybody, though, is going to be held accountable. And Paul says, therefore, because that day is coming, because that is behind me, driving me, and because it sits in front of me and it's glaring up there in front of me that one day every human being is going to have to stand before his or her maker and give an account of their life. I therefore am going out into the world imploring them to come to Jesus. Because I wouldn't wish judgment without Jesus on my worst enemies. I wouldn't dare say to anyone, oh, go to hell. Because how would I ever want someone to experience the absence of the grace and the presence of God for all eternity? And so Paul says, because of this, we, the first thing I want you to see is we persuade others because of the love of God controls us. Look at verses 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And then in verse 14, he says this, for the love of God controls, it compels us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He's basically saying this, the message of Jesus Christ is the motivating factor within our lives to first and foremost see our own lives transformed and changed. And then to go and to tell other people about the same life-changing experience. And here's what Paul then says. He says this. This is the message that we're communicating. This is the message. And it's not one of fear, although sometimes the motivation of fear is good, isn't it? Sometimes it's good to say, hey, buddy, if you place your hand on the top of the stove when it's bright red, you're going to be burned. You come in at 12.01 tonight, you're grounded. So sometimes the negative is, is a positive for us. And Christ does that as well, saying, hey, remember, one day it is destined for all men to live and then to die once and then the judgment. But Paul also goes to the positive. He says, our message isn't just from the negative. It's also from the positive. Here's the positive. When Christ comes into your life, you are absolutely, completely, and fully transformed. Everything in you is changed. 
something so drastically and radically happens to you that you are different. There is something different in your life from the very moment that you say, okay, God, I believe. I place my trust in Jesus Christ. I give my life to Him and I will now be a follower of yours in this world and in a you. Something intrinsically changes. You may not emotionally feel it. You won't physically feel it change. But something has changed. And here's what has changed. He says this, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. We've concluded this, that Christ has died for us. That he died for us and for us and he was raised. Basically saying this, here's what's happened. Positionally, you were changed. You no longer have to fear death. You no longer have to fear the judgment because death is the judgment of sin. Not physical death per se, but ultimate death. He's saying Christ died. And therefore you won't have to. He takes away, he mocks in another place in Corinthians. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where is your power? For Christ is raised and he's obliterated the grave. And so you don't have to be afraid any longer. You know what motivates every single human being in the world at some level? is the fear of death. They're motivated by the fear of death. Grabbing as much as they can in this life, maybe. Maybe it's they're afraid that this, what's on the other side, they do whatever, it motivates us in a way. And what Paul is saying is you no longer have to worry about death. Christ has died, and Christ has been raised, and now you are no longer, verse 16, regarded according to the flesh. Isn't that good news? That your past does not define you. I don't know about you, but that's an amen in my book. That my past no longer defines me. Because when I reverse my past, it's not a really beautiful picture. From the flip side of pride and thinking that I'm so great on one side to the flip side of pride that says, God, I don't need you. I'm doing just fine on my own. And that movement continually and that continuum. Your past, I want you to hear this. Some of you need to hear this desperately today. That Christ Jesus does not account or does not view you based on he doesn't care what happened when you were a 16-year-old. What you did when you were in college, he looks at it and says, my death covered it and took it. I don't want to He says, I don't care. And I don't, let's say it this way. You're not defined by your present either. You're not defined by how good you look today, how many friends you have today, what relationship you're in today, what school you go to today, what car you drive today, what, or anything. It doesn't account. For who you are. You're not identified by that today. And too many of us uh, base our life on how we are viewed today. We look at the opinion polls and we go, oh man, I'm this. Ooh, everyone likes me. I'm great. Life's good. Oh, no one likes me. I'm bad. And we feel like the book that we read together a few months back. We feel like little Punchinello who gets the little gold stars and the little gray dots. And his life is defined by them until he comes in the presence of his maker who says it's never about that. It's my opinion of you that matters. And know this as well. Your future doesn't define you. Christ defines you. Christ defines you. And this is how he defines you. You are a new creation. Verse 17. You are reconciled to God. Verses 18 and 19. That your sins have been forgiven. Verse 19. And that you from now on are considered the very righteousness of God. In verse 21. Isn't that amazing? That basically what has happened to you is Christ is saying, in your life, you are so transformed by the gospel that this is what happens. 
You look on that last day and you say, well, Billy, you said we have to all stand before God and give account of our actions. And it still holds true even for the believer. But here's how that looks. It looks something like this. And I've talked it with you before about notebooks. But it basically is this way. You're going to stand before God one day and he's going to say, okay, we're touching. I need to see your notebook. And in that notebook, I need to see every thought, every emotion, every action that you've ever had in your life, good, bad, or indifferent. And also, I'm God, it's a supernaturally, I'm going to write in even all the things that you've forgotten, all the things that you're too afraid to write down. And it's going to be a pretty large volume for McCutcheon of this. Some of it good, some of it not so good. And he's going to say, now, I'm going to base salvation on that. And there's a voice. Who says, Dad, no. I've paid for this one. Dad, this was one of the ones whom you gave to me. Dad, this is your son, Bill. Now, I'd like you to look at his notebook again. And the notebook that the father holds for Bill McCutcheon one day is going to be the very perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. And he's going to look on me, and he's going to see in me his very son, and he's going to look on me, and he's going to say, Bill, your works, your righteousness gets you into heaven. And I'm going to go, that's awesome, because it's not mine, it's Jesus's. And I didn't earn it, I didn't buy it, I didn't do anything to deserve it, it was an absolute gift. And guess who's holding my dark account of life? Jesus Christ. And it says in the wonderful words of Paul, and he canceled the certificate of death that was against me, and he nailed it to a cross. I want you to visualize in your mind today, Jesus Christ taking your notebook with whatever it is in your life, all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he is taking it, and it is nailed to a cross, and it is covered by his blood and his saint, and then you are holding a notebook in your hand. You are holding something in your hand that you would never let go of now, would you? This is my very life. This is who I am. And he said, we no longer account anybody according to the flesh. So, how many of you guys have messed up and somebody's helped point out that you've messed up? Anybody? Got a few of those folks in your life? We all do. And what we need to do, and when we've got this other accuser who is a spiritual accuser, the enemy, who loves to point out to us, McCutcheon, you think you're going to get to heaven. Let me remind you of what you did here. Let me bring back to your memory all this crud from your past. And you know what we need to take with those reminders and everybody else? We need to be reminded of saying, yes, I did do that, and I am sorry for that. But that's not who I am. This is who I am. I am the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know what that also is? It frees me then to be honest with you in my life. It frees me to say to you, I failed you. I'm sorry. It frees me to say, I mess up regularly. But in my weakness, God is most glorified. Because it's never been about me. And so we have these transformed Lives. And the source of all of this transformation, verse 18 says, it's all from God himself. All this is from God. He does the work in our lives. Now we're going to see just a second. Watch how God transforms the lives of some folks that you know well in our church. You know, that's the crux of it. The, the reality is, is simply this, that when your life is transformed and you've been changed, you've been given a mission. Do you realize that? 
that when you come to Christ, you don't get to just now sit, soak, and sour for the rest of your life. That's what many people in church are. They're sponges. You know the worst smelling thing in your house is the kitchen sponge. Go home and smell it if you don't believe it. It sits, it soaks, and it then sours. And what we're called to do in the church is this. We're called to come into a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing more and more who we are in Him, that we have been transformed, that we are the righteous Christ, that we have a message to share the world. And then it says this in Paul's words. It says, now, all of this is from God, who in Christ reconciled us to Himself, and He gave us something. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespass against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who no sin, that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. You see what we've been given? We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. We have been given a message as ambassadors representing our country. Many of you, uh, are our country, our home, which is heaven itself. Many of you this week watched the opening to the Olympics. You saw athlete after athlete walking in representing their home country. I love the enthusiasm of one country. It had one athlete. And the way they described him was this. He knows he's going to come in last in the Nordic uh, cross-country skiing, but he's so excited that he's waving that flag of some country that I don't even remember, and I think it hadn't even seen snow. But man, that guy was enthusiastic about his country and his homeland and was proud to be an ambassador to the world for his earthly home. How much more should we wave the banner and the message of the true kingdom and the true home where we are citizens of heaven itself. And it says that God has entrusted, think of that word. Think of something so precious to you that you would use the word entrust with it. Spouses, your life, you have entrusted to your spouse. There is a picture of something so precious and so dear of its it's taking it and saying, oh, this is so valuable to me that I am giving it to you. And I want you to care for it. And I want you to, to make it greater than it was even when I give it to you. And God is saying, he is giving us the message of reconciliation. You realize God has no other message. His message is a singular message, and it is reconciling the world to himself through Jesus Christ. And he could have done it a bazillion different ways. But he decided, I'm going to give it to you folks here at Hilton Head Presbyterian Church, and I'm going to entrust the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, my son, to you, so that you can then go out into the lives of the people who you're sitting next to, into your homes. I love the picture of Johnny out there as a children's director. <laughs> out in the driveway with one kid. A little different now. You know what we've been entrusted with in this church? Taking the beauty of the message of Jesus Christ to about 50 some kids who are sitting right over there. And to say to them, we want you to see Jesus as precious. And about 3,500 students who are across the street and say to them, we want you to see Jesus as precious. 
and the thousands of students out in Bluffton and say that we want you to see Jesus as precious, and to the families, and to the breakdown of the families in our community, to say we want you to see Jesus as precious, and to see him as your hope. For God's entrusted that to us in our lives, that we would be his ambassadors. And now to take the pressure off me again, like I did last week, you know who does the work? Not you. You're just the ambassador of the message. You are just the presenter of the truth. You are not the one who changes hearts. That helps you not manipulate anybody. That helps you love truly and honestly. That lets you go out and say, God, I am so confident that you're the one who was able to change this goofed up, messed up part, that you can change any goofed up, messed up part. So indiscriminately, I'm going to share the love of Jesus Christ in my life and represent Christ well in every avenue, every venue, every place that I go. If I live, I work, and I play. And I'm going to represent Christ, and I'm going to pray to the Lord of the harvest. I'm going to pray to you that you would change lives. I'm just going out and sharing your life to others around us. Well, that leads us to where we are today. We want to keep doing that in a major way here. We want to keep coming from this place. A friend of mine named his church Warehouse. Because he said a warehouse is a place where things come in and they stay there for a little while, but then they go and they get sent out. And that's a great picture of a church. That we come together and we want to grow together in who we are. I want you each week to come here. Here's what I want you to be reminded of each week in this church. Who you are in Jesus Christ. If you've had a bad week or a bad day or a bad moment in the parking lot, that you can still walk in here and you can have a friend who's going to look at you and go, I love you. And Christ loves you. And to remind them of that. And what God's doing is more and more people around want to be a part of that kind of message. And we're seeing them come here and bring their families here. And they want to find a safe place here. So we've got to grow. You saw the video. You heard some of that stuff. And that's got to happen. And you know what I found out in life? That my econ professor uh, was, was right. There's no such thing as free lunch. And so I've done a lot of snapping of my fingers, and I've done a lot of praying, and I've done a lot of walking around this campus, and I've done a lot of thought, and I still haven't found uh, a way to do this without uh, raising some money and turning some dirt and building some new buildings for us to continue to have an impact in the world like we want to have. And so what we're presenting to you today uh, is a three-year initiative. We're calling it impact because that's what we believe is happening. It's happening here, and it's going to happen through us. And so we are asking you, and if you're a guest or a visitor, you're probably thinking, oh, wow, great, the money sermon. And some of you who remember are going, I brought my friend to this? Well, um, I'd like to turn it a little bit for you. I know something about myself when I go to a party, I like it to be lively. Uh, when I go hang out with people, I like there to be a little life in it. Uh, when I go out and do things, I want there to be some enthusiasm. If there's a band playing, I want them to be really good and get, get everything on. And so if you're coming here, we want you to know something about our church. God's at work and there's something exciting happening. And we'd love to invite you to be a part of that. And what we're asking those who are committed here, those who are members, uh, those who've been coming regularly, is this. We're asking you to prayerfully consider over the next several weeks, how God would lead you to make your largest and most sacrificial gift for the work of His kingdom here at this church. For us to do everything you've seen on the back walls, and we're going to hand out a brochure to you as you leave today, it's going to cost about $3 million for us to do that. Now some of you just went, and others of you went, oh, that's it. I like to talk to the ones who went, oh, that's it. Um, 
of the church to talk about this after you've had a week to sort of perk on it and let it sit with you and pray about it. Uh, come after the service next Sunday. We're going to have a little town meeting here as well, so that if you don't normally come at 9.30 or it's uh, too early uh, to get kids ready, we want you to be able to hang out here next week in the same kind of uh, venue and format. It's just have a Q&A with us. We want to be absolutely open and transparent to you about everything that we're doing. We're not hiding anything. We're excited about what God's doing. And we just want to lay it out to you and say, God, we're asking you to do something that can't happen unless you show up. And so we're praying that he shows up in the middle of this. So now let's do this. Let's praise God uh, and thank him for his goodness as the team comes back up and we sing together. God, thank you. Thank you for lives that have been impacted right here. The stories could go on and on. The stories of hopelessness that now are filled with hope, joy. For those who are facing life and cancer and bankruptcy and good things and celebrating things, but they're all doing it within the context of the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the ministry of this church. I thank you for the men and women who 30 some years ago faithfully committed to come together and to start this church. And for the elders who have held it together over all of these years through their ups and downs. We thank you for Clint Ilderton and his faithful ministry for all those years of preaching the word in season and out and for all the lives that have been impacted. And now for this transition time of new folks coming in and new leadership and all of us are still looking at the same vision to know Jesus and to make him known. God, would you move in our hearts? Would we be excited, not just about this church, but would we be excited about and in Him, see you immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. To God be the Lord. Amen. Let's stand and sing.